Shalom and welcome to another episode of Israel Policy Pod. I'm Eli Koaz in Tel Aviv. So to get an expert perspective on uh, the Trump plan, I'm happy to be joined by Dan Rotem. Dan Rotem is a Tel Aviv-based analyst. He consults for the Daniel Abraham Center for Middle East Peace. He works on all the conflicts, core issues, borders, Jerusalem, refugees, and security. And uh, he's joining me now uh, in Tel Aviv. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. You're also an extremely talented baseball player, but I'm not going to get into that. He's played on the Israeli national team, just qualified for the Olympics, but that's a touchy subject. Let's, let's not go there. Okay, let's focus on the, the Trump plan. Okay, so Dan, can I get your initial reactions? We saw a map and we saw a plan that was very different than what we're used to and what we've seen in the past. So if, if I could get your initial thoughts, that would be a great place to start. Yes, indeed, the Trump plan is a stark departure from what has become over the past 20 years, I think, of, what, of an orthodoxy of what a two-state solution could look like, two-state solution that somehow can get Israeli and Palestinian agreement to it. Uh, you know, there's a line that started with the Clinton parameters of 2000, the Geneva Initiative 2003, the Annapolis process under Olmert and Abbas, then the Kerry Initiative, and all generally point toward similar um, direction. This plan is uh, drastically different. B- before we dive into the issues, uh, I think the most dangerous thing about this plan is that it basically takes some accepted terminology, two-state solution, land swap, capital in East Jerusalem, etc., but it injects new meanings or new substance in each of these terms in a way that drastically transforms uh, what we've known uh, about the two-state solution. And perhaps in, in the bottom line, if you would, uh, or the headline, is that It's an attempt to codify Israeli dominance uh, west of the Jordan River, territorially, from a sovereignty perspective, um, and in in some other, as far as the narrative uh, and perspective and positions, it basically takes the Israeli dominance, some of which was accepted by the Palestinians in the context of an interim uh, arrangement uh, on the assumption that it will ultimately lead to Palest- to real and meaningful and sovereign Palestinian uh, state. And here it tries to codify them in the context of final status. And that was mostly, in terms of the interim, that was mostly on security issues, uh, not, not on issues such as, I mean, you mentioned uh, Jerusalem and changing what the conventional wisdom uh, was. Uh, uh, there is, uh, in this Trump plan, a quote-unquote you can call it a Palestinian capital in East Jerusalem, but it is completely, uh, it's not in, when people think of East Jerusalem, they think of part of uh, the old city and all the the neighborhoods uh, surrounding and the neighborhoods that Israel annexed uh, in 1967. But here we're talking about only the neighborhoods uh, that are east of the security barrier, which are almost, I mean, that's a whole other issue, completely disconnected from Jerusalem in every in every way. Yes, actually, um, you know the Israeli dominance and, and the Palestinian uh, accepting it is on all the issues. You know the Oslo framework of areas A and B that are so discontiguous, if you would, 
was a compromise that Palestinians were willing to accept because they envisioned that ultimately in final status, their state would be contigu territorially contiguous. Um, similarly, no footprint in Jerusalem uh, in the context of the interim agreement, Israeli security, overriding security responsibility in the interim. What we have here with the Trump plan is basically a Israeli rightist, you know, the ideological right together with a more pragmatic right in their own internal discourse that is basically, basically splashed out on paper and presented as an American plan. Yeah, and I think so. If, if you look at the map, it kind of resembles, at least the West Bank, the Oslo II agreement turned into a final status agreement in a way. And you actually developed a map that made it much easier to illustrate the land swaps that would take place uh, in this agreement. And land swaps have, you spoke about previous negotiations, Annapolis, Taba, Camp David, land swaps have always been a uh, integral part of any permanent status agreement. But the conventional wisdom was that they would be done on a one-to-one -one, uh, ratio. How does that land swap paradigm shift in this Trump proposal? Yes, that's that's deconstruct, if you would, the territorial or borders dimension of this. So the for the first time, um, uh, the United States published a map uh, together with uh, a peace proposal. Um, this map uh, uh, depicts, you know, uh, the, the Israel proper, if you would, and the Palestinian state, but in a way that doesn't really allow uh, further analysis uh, of it. So what I did is I took that map, I digitized it, and I superimposed uh, the 67 lines and also used different colors to see uh, what areas of the West Bank Israel would annex in uh, the context of, of the Trump plan and what areas from Israel proper it would swap in return. And I suggest that uh, in the notes of the podcast, we can have a link um, to that map and some data relevant. But um, generally speaking, we're talking about Israel would annex 30% of the Palestinian territories uh, in the context of uh, that map. In return, it would swap the equivalent of 14% of the Palestinian territories so that all in all, the Palestinian state would be comprised of the equivalent of 84% of pre-1967 areas. Um, some geographical uh, descriptions. First of all, the Palestinian state is contained almost entirely within Israeli uh, controlled territory. Uh, it's only, if you would, uh, interaction with the outside world, territorial connection to the outside world is actually the 12 kilometer stretch in the southern part of the Gaza Strip that connects it with Egypt. Uh, all the other areas are surrounded by Israeli territory, certainly in the West Bank when Israel is expected or envisioned to annex the Jordan Valley. Israel would also be in the border crossings and will uh, basically determine or control, oversee who enters and exits the Palestinian state. Uh, one more thing, the Palestinian state is also non-contiguous uh, in a way. It's made of six large cantons, three in the West Bank, one in Gaza, and two in the Western Negev in the context of uh, land swaps. The connection between these is based on transportational links, be it bridges or tunnels. This is a concept called transportational contiguity, it dates back to the years of Sharon, 
and a plan called Everything Flows. It was basically a plan uh, to deal with, with you know, the contiguity, transportational contiguity in the West Bank. Finally, um, there will be no evacuation of uh, settlers, and for that matter, also not of Palestinians, not that they're equal, but those settlements that fall beyond the areas that Israel will annex, and these are very intrusive areas, lengthy fingers, if you would, of Israeli annexation, um, the 15 settlements that would uh, still fall beyond these uh, um, lines uh, would remain in place. Within the six cantons, right? Yes, correct. They will remain as Israeli settlement enclaves. Israeli citizens, Israel is responsible for security there as it retains overall security responsibility west of the Jordan River, and they will be connected via technical connect, uh, uh, transportational infrastructure to Israel proper. In some way, similarly, the roughly 55 Palestinian villages that are in the areas that Israel would annex, home to roughly 110, 120,000 Palestinians, would remain Palestinian citizens, and they would also have a functional connection to the Palestinian state. Very interesting, Dan. And also there was a mention in the plan of potential for population transfer because there was talk of the Triangle, which is home to over 100,000 Israeli Arabs. This is obviously a very controversial, I mean, they identify, despite being connected, obviously, to the Palestinians, they identify as Israelis. Uh, you wouldn't simply be able to revoke their citizenship, but that was included in, in the plan, correct? Correct. Well, the, the plan basically adopts the concept of populated land swaps in the sense that um, the land swaps will include uh, areas from within Israeli proper, Israel proper that uh, are home to uh, Israeli Arab citizens. Uh, or Palestinian citizens of Israel. Um, interestingly, there's, uh, and this, I'm sorry, this idea dates back uh, at least, I don't know, a decade, if not more. Uh, Avigdor Lieberman was its main uh, propeller, if you would, politically speaking, talking about these populated swaps uh, uh, a while ago. They, obviously, it's a very controversial idea. Um, it has... Uh, uh, effects on you know the democratic nature, if you would, of Israel, with the purpose being obviously that these people will be swapped together with their lands uh, and homes into the future Palestinian state and will cease to be Israeli citizens. Although that is not spelled out explicitly in the plan. Interestingly, the map depicts a swap of of some of these towns, home to roughly 130,000. Arab citizens uh, of Israel. The list of population that is in the text itself is greater than the land swaps depicts, depicted in the map and is home to twice as much, almost 260,000 Palestinian, uh, uh, Palestinian citizens of Israel live in the towns that are spelled out or that are listed in the plan itself. Uh, geographically, however, the more expansive list, if you would, is a little bit more tricky to swap back. But that idea has been very controversial and is one of the reasons uh, that people like uh, Benny Gantz and the Blue-White Party, I think, have uh, shied away from formally adopting the Trump plan and bringing it to a vote in the Knesset. 
Yeah, that's right. And also, Netanyahu has even distanced himself uh, from that element uh, of the plan. You mentioned Lieberman that this may be a tactic of the U.S. Uh, administration to try to uh, encourage Lieberman to join the next government following the upcoming March second elections. I don't know uh, if that connects with reality, but that uh, was a report that some people. We're talking about. I also want to ask you. I think it's clear from our brief conversation that this is a non-starter uh, with the Palestinians. Yes, of course. Uh, past negotiations. Yes, uh, maybe a, a word just to kind of like frame this in in the right way. Mm-hmm. Palestinians view the sixty-seven lines, the integrity, if you would, of the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem. For them, this has been accepting Palestinian state on only, in only the West Bank in Gaza was a historic compromise. For them, accepting Security Council Resolution 242 and recognizing Israel proper uh, in the pre-67 lines is basically forfeiting 78% of what they believe is their homeland. And therefore, the integrity of the 67 lines is so important to them. So past attempts to read negotiations were based on the 67 lines with introduction of land swaps, provided uh, they are uh, equal in size, also in quality, and that they are uh, relatively small in size, meaning they're adjacent to the 67 lines, that they would accommodate the Israeli need to absorb the vast majority or to include within the swaps the the vast majority of settlers in the small but large settlements, I'm sorry, a small amount, but large demographically speaking, of the settlements that are near the 67 lines uh, along the West Bank and in East Jerusalem. This plan obviously deviates from that significantly. Um, and, and the swaps that we're talking about here were not in the zone of two, three, four, five, six percent of the Palestinian territories that could be swapped back and forth, but we're talking about 30 percent that Israel would annex and would swap back non-contiguous territories, ultimately amounting to uh, an additional 14%. So yes, we're here. It's 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 a dra- it's a dramatic difference between what we've learned Palestinians are willing to entertain and ultimately accept, and what's proposed here. So with that being said, for it being just a non-starter on the Palestinian side, how does that open the door for Israel? to implement parts of this proposal uh, unilaterally. In particular, the idea of annexing areas that are part of the Israeli annexation. So predominantly uh, the Jordan Valley and all the Israeli settlements in, in the West Bank. Is that something that is an imminent threat? There was talk that it would proposal when the plan was reached, actually one of Netanyahu's senior advisors said that there would be uh, Israeli annexation or the implementation of sovereignty on the Sunday. Um, That obviously, that didn't happen. But what should we look for when we talk about Israel taking these unilateral uh, measures under Netanyahu? As as we look to the prospects of unilateral annexation, uh, at least in the context of this plan or, you know, on the tail end of this plan, we need to remember that when the drafters of this plan, and I assume we're talking about uh, Ron Dermer, the Israeli ambassador to Washington, and David Friedman, the U.S. ambassador here in Israel, uh, Avi Berkowitz, and wh- whoever actually worked the text and the details, I'm sure Bibi was uh, uh, 
uh, oversaw um, the plan as a whole and gave a green light, but very much in their mind was not how to get a Palestinian buy-in and not even an Arab buy-in, although I think they miscalculated and thought that ultimately uh, Arab states uh, would support this. Um, but it very much in their mind was how to get buy-in from the ideological right, um, specifically Naftali Bennett, who we've learned was engaged uh, repeatedly in trying to get his support for this plan. Because let's remember, I don't want to oversell, but I also don't want to undersell that point for religious Zionism, accepting even in principle Palestinian statehood west of the Jordan River is not a small feat. Um, It's a very big deal for them. So with that in mind, the way to get buy-in from them was telling them either explicitly or letting them uh, understand that immediately following the publication of the the plan uh, or right thereafter, and certainly after the Palestinians will have rejected it, uh, Israel would annex unilaterally its share of the map, the 30% home to 98% of all Israelis east of the 67 lines, and also there will not be evacuation of the outlying settlements, the settlement enclaves, if you would. And that was supposed to get the buy-in from Bennett, and initially he supported it, uh, with the assumption that actual Palestinian statehood is not going to happen, because the plan puts forth a series of conditions that the Palestinians would never accept uh, in return. But that didn't play out. Something was lost in translation between Netanyahu and Kushner uh, or or their advisors, and green light for formal unilateral annexation right now uh, was not given. And uh, Kushner actually, it very quickly came on record and, and, and ruled that out. And we ultimately got uh, acknowledgement from Netanyahu that it will be maybe uh, after the elections. And so I think the threat of immediate unilateral annexation that would be harmful for Israel and for the two-state solution um, is off the table for the next month. Uh, and after the elections, it really depends on the uh, results of the elections, uh, whereby I think that only a right-wing narrow government, meaning the Netanyahu bloc, if you would, if it gets more than 61, then the threat of imminent annexation would resurface. So on that incredibly optimistic note, uh, <laughs> Dan, I would like to uh, thank you for joining us and sharing your uh, expertise. We will be sure to post the map that Dan produced in a link in the podcast uh, description. Uh, you can follow Dan on Twitter at drotem, D-R-O-T-H-E-M, um, for your Israeli-Palestinian uh, conflict analysis and baseball analysis as well. <laughs> do you have anything to say about the Mookie Betts uh, trade, or do you want to, uh, or should we leave that for our baseball podcast? We can leave that for a baseball podcast, probably. Uh, exciting time to be in L.A. Uh, with all the moves for the Dodgers, for the Angels, and uh, bring on the 2020 season. Sounds good. Well, Dan, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we are looking forward to having you back on the podcast soon. Great. So thanks a lot. Thanks.